Hey, everybody. Time for another Shop Talk show. This is episode number 221. Oh, my God. We'll tell you about what we're going to be doing in that show and introduce our guests in just a moment. I need to tell you that this show is sponsored by Rollbar. The URL there is rollbar.com slash shop talk show. It is for error tracking, and it is awesome. They are giving away, if you go to that URL, rollbar.com slash shop talk show, the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days, 300,000 errors tracked in your app. It works with any major language and framework, by the way, and uh, you can uh, uh, integrate it in your app with about eight minutes of work, which is pretty awesome. Tons of people use it. Get, again, get that bootstrap plan for free for 90 days, rollbar.com slash shop talk show. And uh, CodePen, CodePen Pro. Go to CodePen.io slash pro and see all the awesome features of CodePen, including I just had somebody tweet me today and be like, you should have full page view um, automatically update. Like use WebSockets or something, and that way when I'm like editing the code, I can go to full page view and it's like automatically updated. I don't have to refresh the page. And we're like, yeah, I agree. That idea is so awesome that we built it and it exists and it's called Live View and you get it as part of CodePen Pro, just one of many awesome CodePen Pro features. For now, Mr. Dave, please kick things off. Shopping Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about building websites. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hello, everybody. We have a very interesting show this week. Like we've been doing a lot this quote-unquote season, we're going to be talking with two guests on uh, more of a specific topic. So less Q&A and more like, let's just talk about this topic with our guests. And actually, I'm not really sure where the episode is going to go. We're going to be talking about, amongst other things... Designing for social good, I think, and um, some conferences that one particular guest is running along those lines and another particular guest does work along those lines and can talk about it. It's going to be pretty interesting. So let me just, you know, before, just let's just get right into it, shall we? One of our guests is Miss Ellie Chang. Hi, Ellie. Hi. Hey. How are you? Wonderful. Coming at us live from PDX, otherwise known as Portland, Oregon. Is that right? Are you sitting in Portland right this minute? I am. Nice. Cool. Uh, 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 we'll learn more about you a- in a minute. We also have Deep Shah on. Hey, Deep. Hey there. From the opposite side of the United States of America, Brooklyn, yeah? Yeah. That's right. Well, that's coast nice. to coast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then me and Dave here in the Midwest, we really have a, can you imagine, it's amazing what the internet can do. We're all talking in real time, separated by thousands of miles. Uh, pretty wonderful. So we have, um, Ellie and I have a, I have never met, but have a, uh, uh, I don't believe so anyway, have a mutual friend in Ash Dryden, who you may recognize from the Shop Talk show, as we had her on to talk about all kinds of things that Ash does, including uh, a conference called AlterConf. Not to be confused with effect comp, uh, uh, but what can maybe Ellie you could kind of tell us how these two kind of things came together? Because as as I believe, as we record this, it was what just yesterday that you announced kind of a a tie that binds between these two conferences and some other conferences. 
That's right. Yesterday, Ash and I announced Resolution Fest, um, but I'll rewind it back a bit and sure. talk about how I got started with Effect. So um, my main job is I've been, I guess, calling my title is product designer. Um, and I was doing product design for consumer startups originally. Um, so I was designing at OkCupid. I was designing at various startups in the Bay Area. Um, and then I just realized that I wanted to try and devote my energy towards trying to make my corner of the world slightly better. Uh, so I went into a nonprofit um, and it was while designing there that I realized that I didn't have as strong of a community as I used to have when I was working in startups. Um, and it was really that drive that really made me think, well, what kind of events are out there for people trying to work on social change? Um, and how can I bring all these awesome people together who are not necessarily even in my city uh, into one place? And it was from that idea that Effect was born. That's great. It's, it, it's almost like a little uh, irony there, almost, that you had more community while working on non-community products. And when you started to start thinking about community more, there was less community there. Yeah, it's a little weird. I think the social good community is just um, a lot of it is still very much offline. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's not as much in the same places as the online design community. So it was also like learning where everybody else was hanging out um, and how to reach them. Yeah, that's interesting. That's it's just it's new to the online world a little bit. So we're talking about Effect Conf. The URL of is uh, you know a f f e c t conf dot com uh, is coming up this October, October seventh and eighth in Portland, Oregon. The tagline you put at the top of the page: Effect is a community event about the work, culture, and design behind social change. So social change is the, the big key word there. That's what, what EffectConf is going to be out. Do you want to tell us like what, the, what you had in mind while putting it together and how it's come together and who's talking at it and what are they going to be saying? Sure. Um, so I feel like a lot of people have different definitions of social change. Um, and I don't want to claim that I know the... A uh, definitive definition, <laughs> but in my mind, social change is um, change on behalf of particularly marginalized populations and communities. Um, and so, it's it's it could be a synonym for social justice in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not necessarily only for um, specific communities. Social change could also be in politics, which is. Um, something that you don't really think of as, as like a, a community because it's much more on a civic level. Mm -hmm. But certainly that's what politics is for, is kind of changing society and, or <laughs> controlling it or whatever. Right, exactly. It's just not a population that you usually think of as... I, I feel like especially with this election year, it's like uh, we feel like a nation that's very much divided and we sometimes forget that we're, you know, one nation operating under one system. I wanted to talk about all the stories behind all the visible work and design and culture that you see in social change. Um, tell the stories behind the stories, so to speak, because I feel like there's a lot of uh, promotion and media out there about really highly visible campaigns. But um, 
going to the community aspect, I really wanted to know about the specific people working on it and what their experiences were like so that we can really help support each other um, and ultimately help each other continue this work long term so that you don't burn out, which is something that a lot of people in the industry encounter. Yeah. In fact, it looks like one of the talks is specifically about burnout. I'm sure it is a keynote. Yeah. Uh, Nadia gathers. So one of the people speaking at this is our other guest, Deep. And the title of your talk says Healing Healthcare and Healing Yourself. You work in, in design as it relates to healthcare, yeah? Yeah, I just most recently worked at a startup um, as a product designer for uh, oncology analytics. So, oncology analytics. The exciting okay. world. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, it, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, of course, it sounds like in a jokey way, boring, but was it, was it to you or not? Or was, um, so, funny story. Um, before I became a designer, I actually went to college for biochemistry. And I originally wanted to become an oncologist. So it was kind of full circle for me um, working at a startup for oncology. Uh, but oncology is, I think, it's a, it's a very... What is like, it, for one thing? It's, it's the medicine for cancer. So it's okay. how you treat um, and not cure, but how you treat and address different cancers. And whether you give um, radiation or uh, chemotherapy or uh, surgery and all these different modalities um, mm -hmm. to deal with the cancer. So, so hugely important to a lot of people. You know, you're, everybody yes. becomes a is, is attempting to be an expert. As soon as they have it or know somebody close to them who has it, they they dive, I'm sure, headfirst into this sucky world of cancer. And the the products that you were building, what did they do? What was the company for? So the company uh, centered around trying to drive down. Um, cancer costs, uh, costs in the medical industry in the United States. So one of the biggest problems that exists right now is skyrocketing uh, healthcare costs. And it's kind of putting a big dent in the um, economy of, the, of our country. So there are a lot of different startups in the same space uh, that are trying to solve this in very different ways. And uh, the company that I worked at, Coda, tried to solve it and still trying to solve it by creating a platform for different uh, key players in the industry to look at data in a different way. So, for example, you have um, in, uh, insurance companies and practice managers for hospitals and doctors and um, pharmacy. So by looking at data in a different way. So right now, the way that you know doctors kind of look at um, solving a problem is that they use their own experience and they use the experience of those around them. So if they're in a hospital, then you have a great network. If you're a, if you're a doctor, there are experienced um, practitioners who've been around for a long time, and they know how to treat things in certain ways. Um, and that is kind of like passed down, right? You go to a great school, you learn, um, and that's how you get great doctors. Mm -hmm. um, but you have a lot of people in different corners of the world and even places with like people in big hospitals who don't necessarily have the experience to deal with certain things. And maybe tomorrow a patient will come in with a certain set of symptoms and they have no idea what to do with that patient. So um, by creating kind of like this, um, this network of data that you can see, okay, well, you know, patient, male, lung cancer, uh, with all these genetic um, you know, markers and all these other symptoms comes in, well, 50 other patients 
or 50% of patients like that that had this treatment had like a 70% survival rate or something. Oh, wow. So there's so, like, there's no reason why, it seems like something that should exist or something that most people might even assume that exists kind of, because you're like, why should we have to learn the same lessons about how cancer is 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 coursing through a particular person like there should be data points being gathered so we can compare notes but maybe there wasn't yet and that's what you're yeah i mean um and this is a very specific i mean oncology alone in healthcare is a massive massive industry it's billions of dollars and healthcare in general is trillions of dollars it's a massive industry so there's a lot of work to be done in general um and this is a very like niche area yeah that's that's interesting. So w- was there a sense of uh, on your team or even within yourself that like, it, you know, if this company does a great job, then it really is going to do good things for the world and the health of the world. And if I do a good job at this job, that company will do better and kind of, you know, make the world a better place kind of stuff. Was that palpable there or did it just be like? Yeah, I th- um, there are two sides of that. Uh, one side is that um, it's not dealing directly with the patients. So I think working on a B2B product in a place like um, like in, in a company that works on healthcare is hard to see like the like what you work on changes. So like what does that do? What are the end results of that? And so that can kind of like after a while you're like, okay, well, I'm working on this thing. Uh, does it matter? Um, but on the other side, it's like, yeah, like I'm doing this thing. Uh, we just got this report back from this hospital and uh, they're using it and it's great and um, it's actually making a difference. So there's two, I think there are two sides to that. Yeah, that's nice. And so you were getting that feedback. Hospitals were using yeah. it to great effect. Yeah, it's, nice. I mean, it's, it's a very young company and not a, lot of pe- like, not a lot of different hospitals are using our reports and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. is, it, is that what your, uh, the talk will be about as well then as your experience with that or does that have a different angle to it? So my talk is going to be more about the technical side of product design in healthcare and how um, you know w- working on the different UX patterns and uh, research and IA on all these different things um, kind of really changed the way I think about design and mm-hmm. also how working on something that you can be so emotionally invested in can lead to burnout, um, especially you know just. Uh, working wow. on something that if you think is so important um, for me personally. So my grandma had cancer and she passed away from cancer. So working on something like this was super, super important to me. And so just putting so much of myself into it, it how do you take care of yourself and how do you separate um, that drive to do better in the world from um, the the need to maintain your own life and your own sense of self. So yeah, I haven't heard that before, but it, it kind of stands to reason and you've experienced it clearly yourself that the more you care about something, the easier it is to, to, to burn out on it would be your thesis yeah. there kind of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. I think that's one of the differences um, I discovered when switching from working for consumer oriented startups to social good. I feel like because the org is so mission based, um, you get very invested in that mission and then you, you take on that personal responsibility. Um, and working in UX, you're always thinking about your audience. But when you add social change into that, you're really thinking about like, am I doing enough to help them? 
Um, who am I serving? Who am I, you know, not helping if I don't put enough of myself into this? And there's just a lot more, I feel like, uh, morality and responsibility that yeah. gets on your shoulders. It's, it, I think every startup has like a poster in, the, in their whatever comms area or whatever that, that's like, we're out to change the world. Uh, but, but they're just really making like fart apps or sticker apps for messaging. Um, but you are doing work that is actually affecting lives and, and not to say that those don't, but, but these are kind of like hardcore issues that you're tackling. Um, I, I guess does that feeling bearing that, I guess, you're you're in it for the long haul, huh? You're not like I'm just going to work at the startup for six months and then I'm going to get a better job. You're like, no, I kind of laid all that down and I'm going to work at this nonprofit as long as it sustains. Do you feel like that's a common attitude? I think it's it's more about um, a lot of people have very specific causes, so it could be I'm going to work in, in this nonprofit as long as it sustains, but it could also be a specific cause that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Deep's case, it's healthcare. Um, in mine, I. I actually don't have a specific cause so much as like I, my cause is sort of more high level where I just really have a strong drive to help people. So as long as I feel like I'm in a position where I can try to use what skills I have to help people, um, that's what I look for. But I'm in that for the long haul. I want to try to use my life to make other people's lives a little bit better if I can. That's interesting that thought about that am I doing enough thought is kind of scary, isn't it? Because it's both potentially like your drive to do more and the thing that makes you feel like you're not doing enough. You know, I wonder if that's that can be a oh a scary one. You know, if that's what's causing your burnout, even though dangerous cycle kind of thing. I'm not it, sure if there's an answer to that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I'm hoping um, we'll get to talk about at Effect if I come together with other people. I'm sure there are people who have been in it much longer than me. I mean. I, I know for a fact that there have been lots of people who have been social good much longer than me. And so I really need to learn from them and figure out, you know, how do you, how do you continue caring about the cause while caring for yourself as a person, like Deep said? Yeah, that's yeah. even a, that's a different one, right? Caring about the cause and caring about yourself, self-care or whatever. I, you know, just for the, for the sake of the people listening in the audience, let's say you're inspired by some of this and, and wish that you were doing like a little more good with the work that you're doing, I would think that there's probably some very small section of people out there that work for something that um, that maybe does bad in the world, but probably not very many, right? Or you work for something, you you know, you work for like Philip Morris or whatever, and you're fair, you're like it's a job, but you know, like you're fairly convinced it's doing bad for the world. Probably not a ton of people in that world. Also, probably not a ton of people that are like working for World Wildlife Federation or something that are obviously kind of doing good for the world. There's probably a huge chunk of people that work in things that feel fairly benign, right? You work at like Papa John's or whatever you you know, or you work at a a coffee shop or something. It's it's like you're doing something useful. Maybe you're making a mobile app for ordering a pizza. That's like it's not good or bad, really, right? Can you like bring some of these ideas to that? Can you work on something that's like middle ground and get? Or do you have to be like, if I want to do good for this world, I'm gonna have to leave that behind? No, I I, to, I personally um, totally think that something. Well, first of all, it's a very personal question, right? So what do you want from your life? And um, I don't want to, like, I feel that it's not in my place to 
push my drive to make my corner of the world a better place onto somebody else. Like if somebody else wants to just do their job and go home, like that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but also if somebody is just wants to do their job and do something, that's cool too. Like you can volunteer. There's so many volunteering opportunities, especially if you live in a big city or like Portland or like, or New York. Um, just the other day, uh, I used to do some, um, volunteer ambulance course stuff when I was younger. And I was talking to my friend, uh, who I used to do it with back in the day and he's in the city too. And we're like, yeah, let's get our, um, certifications again and let's do something. So there's so many things that people can do to make everything a little bit better. There's different levels of engagement that people can have with social good. It doesn't have to be your life. And, you know, Sometimes, a lot of times, I think it's probably better if you don't have it take over your whole life because then you can have that uh, self-care in place um, much more effectively. But there's also different types of currency that you can use to invest in social good. And that could be um, your time, your energy, but it could also be money as well. So there's different types of ways that you can engage and different, different methods you can use. I mean, this is all related in a very personal way to some things going on in this larger kind of conference or fest or week or whatever that's been put together. Because as we, you know, after we had Ash on, now it's, I guess this was what, a week or two ago, Ash posted a post that says, literally, I'm sick. And she talks about about how she just has been working too hard and has health issues otherwise. And it's just like, it's too much for her and not to say that she's bad at self-care or anything but like certainly like the stresses were getting to her of all this kind of thing and that's she's an example of somebody who you know dove as head first as head first can be into this into this kind of thing right so anyway maybe we could talk about how that grew up a little bit and or or, or the, the story of kind of effect and turning it into uh, uh this bigger thing Yes, Resolution Fest, we're resolving to make a better future. So how it came about is that Ash and I were already, Ash and I met back when she invited me to speak at UltraCon Portland last year. Um, and then we sort of kept in touch since then. We ran into each other at events. Um, and then this year, she had to move UltraCon Portland um, and she ended up moving it to a week before effect. And we were like, hmm, people are kind of confusing our conferences. Um, and they are kind of similar. Like maybe there's something there. And Ash came up with a brilliant idea of what if we just declared a week for us? Um, what if we take a week in eight days and celebrate all the people in the communities who are rethinking how the tech industry could be? Um, and Slightly better than declaring war. <laughs> better. Little, seems to fit better. <laughs> okay, so it starts on October first with AlterConf and uh, and then and, and kind of ends with the FECConf, right? So it, so there's like maybe there's something there. Was maybe we could fill the week with all kinds of awesome. Yeah, exactly. And we already knew of another event that was in between, which is PyDX, um, which is run by our friend Thursday Bram. Um, and yep, about. And Python is is one of the better and more inclusive um, programming communities out there. So we were like, that's great. Um, that's exactly the kind of tech industry that we want to see, an inclusive, accessible type of community. And then we just started reaching out to our friends like, hey, would you be interested in participating in this week? Would you be interested in putting something together? 
Um, and I don't think we fully thought about the ramifications of throwing ourselves into organizing a week-long festival. But before we knew it, um, this whole thing just kind of snowballed and became this thing. And now it's Resolution Fest, October 1st to 8th. Right. So if you're, if you're into all this stuff, uh, that would be a, certainly a pretty cool week to be in Portland. I'm sure the weather will be nice, a nice fall in Portland. Just picture it, people. Good coffee, good people. I don't know if I want to lie to people about the weather because it is October. And, so it'll be um, rainy. It'll be rainy. It may or may not be rainy. I mean, in recent years, it's it's yeah. been nicer weather in October, but you don't know. It could be rainy. It could be lovely. But hey, yeah. there will there'll be awesome people there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lived Come in for Portland, too, for a couple of years, but I don't really oh, remember. Oh, awesome food, too. Like. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Okay, so that's Resolution Fest, which includes both AlterConf and EffectConf and uh, Pi DX and and Stump Sound Stumptown Syndicate, which you're also involved with, is doing a movie and check it all out. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Rollbar. That's rollbar.com slash shop talk show. It's an awesome app. But let me tell you, your app is throwing errors. It just is. All of ours are. Do you know about them? I hope you do because most of the users that are experiencing those errors are frustrated and it's very good to know about those errors. Rollbar is this thing that you can integrate into your site within a few minutes, really, and it tells you about those errors. So there's like a proper place, a proper dashboard for tracking those errors and how critical of an error it was and how much it's happening and how important it is. Help you diagnose the errors and then defeat those errors. Vitally important stuff for any website uh, and it's kind of an awesome way to do that so it works with all the major languages and frameworks like i said very easy to install you can integrate it into your other workflows like oh there's a big major error you should probably send that over to HipChat or slack or whatever uh, or github whatever it needs to be lots of people are using rollbar heroku twilio kayak instacart zendek twitch lots of big places using rollbar to track their errors and have no choice. You need to be knowing about the errors that are happening on your website and make it your priority to deal with these errors so that you're not just using customers. You know, essentially having a buggy, awful web app, you know. The way that you fix and make robust web apps is tracking and knowing about errors and then dealing with them. Rollbar helps you do that. They are also hooking up Shop Talk Show fans. You get their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. Three months very generous of them. So I wonder if we if we should talk a little bit more about the product design stuff, which I bet our our audience would would, would kind of be into. I, I did want to bring up that you know that like that that kind of middle ground area that I bet a lot of people work in. That's uh, is there? Do do you know of people that have examples of who've kind of taken the taken it upon themselves to inject some some social good into an app that you might not expect it in or the you know, are, are, are surprised, are there a representative of a job of that kind of thing? I don't know. Do you know any stories from the world of product design plus social? I definitely, I think we all do. We've all heard of Slack, which has, you know, taken over the internets. Um, um, and Erica Baker in particular, she's at Slack and she has taken it upon herself to work on diversity and inclusion there. Mm-hmm. And that's an example of like working on a product that's not inherently for social good, but you can still um, 
use your own interests, your own knowledge, your own experience to make that culture better. And that's, that's work that's definitely valuable too, because it's not something that, um, you normally think of, and yet it affects our lives daily and it affects people's lives when they work there. I thought one of the interesting things about Slack is that they don't have to, at least on the surface, it doesn't seem to me, they don't have to fight the same kind of battles that something like Reddit has to or something. Like, can you imagine how difficult that must be to like to um, maybe take her job over to Reddit? I mean, maybe she's more involved with like who works there and what they're doing kind of thing. But I mean like the community on Reddit itself. Certainly it must be like, you know, there's all kinds of crazy, nasty stuff that happens at Reddit and all kinds of like kind of amazing stuff that happens at Reddit and everything in between. And if your job is like, let's fix this, it'd be like, you know, massive shrug, you know, like I have no idea how you, how you could do that or what, what the proper way to handle that kind of same kind of thing on Twitter and Facebook or whatever. How do you kind of rein in people doing good there instead of bad or building tools to help people that are having problems using those services? Uh, kind of massive undertakings. It seems to me anyway, I, I know some people are like, well, you could just do this, this and this, and then it, and then it would work. But Imagine that is a difficult job. At Slack, they don't really have that because there's not a lot of public stuff, right? So that there's no, I think there are kind of some community groups at Slack, but like there's no like URL to uh, something that somebody said on Slack. You know, it's not public in that way. You have to kind of be invited into a group to be there. So you don't really need to monitor community at Slack because they're, they're walled. They're walled gardens in a sense. So it's uh, kind of, that's yeah. definitely a misconception. You do have to monitor your Slack. Um, a lot of people have, even though it's not public, like Ultraconf yeah. has a Slack now. Um, and Ash was definitely very mindful. I actually talked Ash into creating the Slack community, um, particularly because, again, I wanted a place where I could chat with people who are interested in similar things. Nice. Uh, you have a, a Slack for the conference. Um, Ash has a Slack for Ultraconf. Oh, I see. For AlterConf, okay. Yeah, for AlterConf. And before she launched it, she was really concerned about, well, if I get a lot of people on there, um, how can I make sure that everybody's treating each other properly? Um, and there's still codes of conduct that you would have for your Slack communities that a lot of uh, organizations have put in place, particularly because um, especially when you're chatting in what you perceive to be a private place, there could be uh, a lot of... Um, negativity and harassment that goes on that you can't even see. So it's even more important that you have these processes in place. I, I had to leave a Slack recently because it doesn't have a code of conduct. Like, and it was just like some guy just calling women in tech hot chicks. And I just was like, uh, this, this is awful. You know, I, I, I don't want to keep having this conversation with these people over and over and over. And, you know, there were dick jokes in, in general and stuff like that. And I just was like, I'm sick of having these like, hey, can you not do that talks? Like, so I just bailed. It's it's interesting. Apologize. Apologies for being so wrong about that. But uh, um, uh, you do need to monitor your slacks, apparently, especially the, the kind of public ones. Right. Because, Dave, you probably weren't like this isn't like somebody who literally is your employer. Yeah, this isn't a corporate Slack. <clears throat> no, no. A corporate Slack. Wow. Um, uh, I have talked, you know, just with some anecdotal evidence with the Slack thing, I've talked to literally people at Slack who've said to me, I'm not naming any names or whatever, maybe Ch Slack will change their mind on it, but they're just like straight up, we don't care about community groups in Slack. That's not what we're building Slack for. We're building Slack for literal groups of teams who are choosing to work together kind of thing. And these like open groups, there's just like not on their radar at all, which I found 
interesting kind of. And I've ter- I've heard of people on Slack. I had a friend of mine tweet Slack and say, "Hey, is there some way to mute somebody or like block them or something in a Slack?" And they responded, just said, "No, we're not building that. That's not that se- doesn't seem like it would be a good idea for teamwork." And Slack is all about teams, you know. Yeah. So they're they're kind of like standoffish to this idea of building the same kind of tools that we have on Twitter, for example, like block and mute and, and that type of thing. Not that those tools are like I'm saying those are the most effective things in the world because I know a lot of people have problems with those, but Slack's kind of not interested in that. Anyway, that was quite the aside, huh? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, um, if there are reasons why Slack doesn't go into that. I'm also wondering if uh, this is going to come back and bite them back. Um, is the community aspect of it going to grow so large that they can't ignore it anymore? And is that going to hurt their bottom line? Like, how are they going to deal with it? Because um, that's super interesting. They can't shut them down. I mean, tons of people are finding Slack through these open groups and stuff. Seems like they're gonna need to address it. And also, you you brought um, to the issue uh, organization slacks. Like, what if there's harassment in an organization, and are there tools to kind of combat that within Slack, or would organizations need to take that outside of Slack and handle it within their HR structure or something? It does. And then, how do you expose that? Like, if I'm, I have a Slack for my business, and there's people at. If one of my like employees blocked another one of my employees, I'm pretty sure I want to know about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that, but that breaks some kind of weird trust wall too, doesn't it? Like, maybe they don't want me to know that they're blocking that other person because they have personal reasons for not telling me that. Very Absolutely. tricky, this stuff. So what, what are other, what are other, we, another thing per, people we had on was, was Eric Meyer and Sarah Walker Becher that had this book out called Design for Real Life. And Eric Meyer has done these talks designing for crisis. He had a, um, a daughter who died and he, you know, as somebody who, you know, he visited lots of websites during this at times of crisis in his life and was, and was talking about how they kind of succeeded or failed and then kind of extrapolated some of those thoughts along with Sarah into this in this kind of thing. Are you aware of that book? Have you seen it? I have. Uh, it's great. I, I love it a lot. Um, I love any kind of thing that um, is for empathy, particularly empathy for people um, who aren't represented normally or who aren't thought of um, in the majority situation. And designing for crisis is really, really interesting and I think offers a lot of solid tips on um, how you can think of that when you're putting a product together so that you're not always making assumptions about um, the people using your product and what kind of mood they're in and what their life situation is in. Yeah, I think that was was certainly the, the vibe of the book. And, you know, I think Eric particularly called out during some of his talks that like like a hospital website or for example it doesn't uh doesn't explain very well like what you do when you go to the emergency room or something something that you would clearly need to use on the web and uh and didn't kind of handle that case at all but was also careful not to just only pick on hospital websites because there's clearly i don't know there's lots of other websites that you might need in a time of crisis in the in the and the design can go outside of that. I wonder if that relates to anything you've worked on deep. And that you know, you you've certainly designed websites for, in a sense, people that are sick, or were these websites for, they were more for the at the hospital level? Um, no, it's just it's just product work. But it's I've read I didn't read his book, but I read Eric's um, blog post that went viral a while back, and um, there are a lot of really interesting things on how to design for healthcare that. Um, is very different from like the traditional startup space and tech space, and one of them is you know iterating for 
um, health is a lot different than iterating for something like Slack or for Google. Like you can't just ship all the time. And it's different when you're working for a B2B product than if you're working for something like um, an EMR, which is like an electronic medical record, which is something that um, nurses and doctors use at site wow. to treat their patients. And you know that's a totally different ballgame. Because you can't ship all the time because then you're moving people's cheese and they can't do their job anymore, or you can't ship because of technical constraints, because of firewalls and... Is it, is it both? Or? Well, a technical constraints is a different, because then you have something called HIPAA, which is um, a governing law for security, but um, that's different. But I'm talking more about um, just like a design standpoint and an ethical standpoint, because you can't, if you're shipping all the time, then you're changing the way that these people are using their product, and you're affecting um, lives, mm-hmm. literally. So if you move a button without really communicating it to your users or preparing them for it, then if they need to press that button to do something and they're treating a patient, then somebody could die. And so that's a totally different way of designing. Like You have to plan a lot more in advance. And I would say that um, it's kind of going back to the roots of uh, software development and design. And uh, people used to actually build things that didn't break all the time. And, um, you know, that is something that I think has been a little lost these days in this culture of, um, you know, move fast and break things, uh, which is, I'm sure it works great for companies like Facebook and Google. But if you're designing and building for something that's being like used to treat people, then you can't do that. That's I've never heard somebody really talk about that kind of thing. Like literally, don't move a button. There's there's stakes here, and there's big ones. You know, I wonder if that's stifling for designers, or if if there's designers out there who enjoy that kind of thing because it's like we better get this right the first time because people, we on purpose are going to make people live with it for you know who knows years yeah. and years. I, I yeah, I, I personally think of it as a good challenge. Like that really tickles my brain, so to speak, because um, that makes me think a lot more in advance. I can't just make a random assumption. I have to do a lot of research. I have to do a lot of testing beforehand. How does that affect kind of like version or, or like product or feature or even patch releases? How, how does that kind of affect how things go out? Is it just glacial pace or is it, um, is, is it still kind of operate relatively quickly? Um, so for me personally, it's a little slower than it was a little slower than um, than my previous jobs, which is more con- it's all consumer centric. Um, and I can't speak to anything like an EMR because I don't have any experience in that. But I would imagine that it's very very slow. And I don't know if you've ever seen um, some of the software that is used in hospitals or not, or maybe if you've ever been to a doctor's office or like an ER or something, then you might have gotten a glimpse of it. But um, EMRs are very like colossal. It's it's very colossal and it's very poorly designed um, because it's just kind of like tacked on. So if you if you're a doctor and like you need something like hey this field is missing for um, this symptom or something, then it's kind of added on later. And um, so I think there's a big gap between how software should be designed in healthcare and how it is currently designed. And that's a totally different topic also. And I think in 
what we call slow is it's sort of um, distorted by our experience working in startups. Um, I wouldn't think, I mean, it is slower for sure, but also I think it's a lot more thorough, um, at least at the startups I've worked at. We've never QA to the same degree that we do um, in the nonprofit and and other orgs. Absolutely. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because if you're doing something that's super important and um, affect people's daily lives, especially when they're in a time of crisis, you do need to test thoroughly and you do need to um, take whatever time necessary to make sure that you are being responsible about what you push out. We should stop calling it slow. Let's call it thorough or average. And, and the other <laughs> stuff is too fast. Well, Apple is one of those companies that we look up to and they're not a startup and they're, you know, what people would say slow, but no one ever says Apple is, is slow necessarily because they think of Apple as just pushing out these really great complete products generally. Speaking of Apple, it just it looked like um, yesterday one of the one of the many many announcements was uh, it was in regard to the photos and the the handling of the photos app on on uh, OS X and iOS. That it looked like it it like built facial recognition and stuff into the into that app, which is I don't know. I think it's not, they're definitely not the first on the block for that. I, th- I have a Google Photos app that does a pretty good job with like auto grouping things into you know these are pictures of boats we noticed in your photos and stuff, which is kind of a, amazing that it can do that. Um, and I saw Eric tweet about it like already, like you know you better watch it with that stuff, or you better build some kind of way to handle suppression as he called it because it was like you know wh- how would you feel if you know you, you hardly did anything to your computer or some auto update happened and you opened up photos and it was like remember this date that looked like a big date in your history and it was like pictures from a funeral or something or or like of somebody if your you know grandmother that died it'd be like oh thanks app yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny yeah, but it's it, funny yeah, yeah. No. yeah well it does it does make the assumption that you always want to know who's in what photo and you want to remember that um, and be reminded of that, which is, you know, as Eric points out, not true. Um, And then there's also the other component of uh, as advanced as technology is, I mean, Google Photos had, or was it Google Plus? They had the snafu where they tagged a photo of a black man as a gorilla and that was not okay, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that you were like, did you not think to test that? Right. Or did you just not have time or not care? Like this kind of mistake is just so egregious in this day and age. Yeah. I wonder if we're going to see more of the snafus as like people rely on machine learning for a bunch of things. I, I just, I don't know if you saw the like machine learning or AI writes a screenplay thing. Uh, it was kind of a video somebody put together, uh, like real actors acting out this AI sci-fi screenplay, and it was awful. But but yet we we put a lot of faith in these AIs to kind of do a job for us. And uh, it's I just it's interesting. I think there's going to be more and more of these just like complete failures on that end. And I think, well, I think people are so bad at it in general that it's the people behind these AIs. And if people can't even figure it out, then how can we expect AIs to yet? Also, I think um, it's also can be tied back to community building. And um, I think there's a big reason why communities like Reddit, for example, um, it, it's, there's so much prevalent bad stuff in there. And it's hard to weed it out via AI simply because 
there's so much um, that like a human can discern in terms of what's acceptable and what's not. Um, and I'm wondering if that's something that'll ever be able to be solved via something like neural nets and machine learning. Um, or will we just need armies of humans just doing that for us? You know what occurs to me is that you're building an app to help, um, and I may have this a little bit wrong, but help, you know, doctors and hospitals and whatnot under, you know, be able to search data for, to share knowledge between oncology-related matters. I wonder if there should be an app to help us, like, groupthink, uh, 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 you know, these social issues and apps. You know, it seems like each new app has to kind of tread this territory uh, for themselves for the first time. You know, imagine if you're Twitter, they're, they're probably sitting there thinking about how can we solve these issues, and they're trying to solve them from scratch, not not solving it with 10 other companies together, which is almost a shame in a way. Like this is, every time I see, you know, maybe it's just like the developer in us, but every time you see like companies doing repetitive work, it's like, why isn't there some group system for this? Why did, why did we have to solve problems for ourselves over and over when other companies clearly have had the same? Maybe there should be some kind of conference where you could go to and talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what conferences are really great for. <laughs> Honestly, like you come together and you talk about your work with each other and then you get new ideas and you figure out how to collaborate. Um, and even within the uh, companies, I feel like Twitter has a very specific problem that we know about, which is that it is not nearly as diverse as it should be, especially being in the Bay Area, um, where the population is a lot more diverse than, say, in Portland, Oregon. Oh, interesting problems that they have. So, so if you maybe we should we should like come towards the end. If you are if you are interested in this, is it, maybe we could. I'll pass it off to you, Ellie. First, is there things that this conversation has made you think of that you want to bring up, or do you want to kind of uh, pitch anything or tell us about anything before this is over? Well, I want to have more of these kinds of conversations at Effect. Um, so if you're interested in that too, you should definitely tell people about it. Um, we have awesome speakers there, deep included. Um, and our keynotes will be from Code for America, um, about public service design, Code 2040, the burnout talk that you mentioned, and everyday feminism, where we specifically talk about inclusivity and social justice. So there's a lot of like existential questions, social good questions, design questions, product design. Um, and I want to talk about all those things. Um, and at Resolution Fest, uh, that's going to be October 1st to 8th, and we're looking for sponsorship there in particular because it takes a lot to pull together a week-long festival, and that's where we could use some help, plus spreading the word, of course. All and right. I'd love to talk to people about design problems in not only just healthcare, but other corners of the tech world that aren't really touched on in blogs and other problems that people might encounter that we can kind of share amongst ourselves and kind of spread so other people can learn um, from that. All right, wonderful. Dave, do you have any wrap-up stuff? Well, that's it. I kind of already stole your thing. You stole my thing? No, I'm, I think it's very exciting. I think um, I'm just, you know, I, I'm trying to think of like, like are there like concrete, tangible problems? Like what are the problems that need to be solved in the nonprofit world? And I think you've both, thank you very much, Ellie and Deep, for, for giving me a lot to think about. I, it's something I think about, um, you know, nonprofits, politics. We had the 18F show, uh, <laughs> the 18F show, uh, where, where they kind of inspired people, at least me, to think about uh, tech and, and uh, 
like civics. So, uh, so thank you very much for, for reminding us that, that this is out there. Um, if people aren't following you and giving you money, uh, how can they do that? Uh, we'll start with Ellie. Um, well, there's, um, effectconf.com. Um, effectconf also has a Twitter. Um, we have a sponsor page. We have a volunteer page, a donate page. Um, and Resolution Fest is at resfestpdx.com. All right. And that's uh, all October-y, is that right? october Yep. Okay. ResFest is the whole week, October 1st to 8th, and Effect is the 7th and 8th. Okay, great. So Ellie is L-E-L-E-A, four letters, Ellie dot is is your domain name which is and, and Twitter handle, which is awesome. Congratulations for having some awful... Oh, and I also noticed that uh, uh, Ellie has um, a sung version of Cupcake. Oh, my God. Some, which is definitely uh, uh, worth a listen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's worth a listen, think. but yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, as a design nerd <laughs> I d- and someone who likes to sing, I decided my first ever attempt at a song should be... Writing a song around Cupcake Ipsum as a parody. Not everybody got it, weirdly enough. They were like, why are the lyrics so weird? Because <laughs> <laughs> they were generated by a computer. Oh, full circle. Wait, Chris, nice. Here we go. Uh, deep, how can people follow you and give you money? Uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, slash or at Deepshaw, uh, my first last. And uh, my portfolio is also at Deepshot.com. All right. You, oh, you guys are nailing it. Owning the space. Usernames. Yeah, come on. That's you, you both get five shop doc points for uh, <laughs> branding. So um, well done. Personal brands. Uh, all right. So thank you, everybody, for downloading this and your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to star heart, favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Tweet us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show. Uh, follow us for tens of tweets a month. If you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one. Lots of companies want to hire people like you. And uh, Chris, um, starting to hyperventilate here at the end. That must mean that you got to do something. Shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>